The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous to our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Just as one further announcement before we dive in. Uh, If you do have students uh, age 6 through 12, we do have a thriving student ministry now that is led by uh, Graham Lovelady and Jenny Mackey. And so uh, you are not compelled to go there, but you are welcome to go there. They meet at the 11 o'clock service in the Suite on Broad. In the Suite on Broad, this is the Stratton Hall. That's the Peyton, and the suite on Broad is like behind it. It's in our back parking lot. So if you'd like to make use of that, um, they're doing small groups this year and Bible studies and retreats, and uh, it may be a great place to get your teenagers plugged in. We'll continue our study of Mark. Um, Mark is the action gospel. Uh, Mark, John Mark says, immediately, 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 Uh, throughout the course of the text. He's sort of racing to the end. And the reason that I remind you of that this morning is because we are nearly at the end. I know it's going to take us the fall to get there, but think of it this way. This interaction that goes on with Jesus Jesus and the chief priests here is three days away from his crucifixion. So I know we can get used to like reading that and feeling like, oh yeah, another thing with Jesus and the chief priests and the Pharisees. Let the context take over for you. They're asking him about authority. 
Who, do, who gives you the right to come into our temple and upend the tables? Who do you think you are? And this showdown is happening three days before they kill him. So it just brings it more powerfully, and it's more somber because of that. Well, let's pray, and I'll ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. We need your spirit now. We need your spirit. Otherwise, this is just some religious exercise. But if your spirit shows up, we could encounter your son, Jesus. We want to be transformed we want to have hope and encouragement amidst the, the wounds and the sufferings that we're experiencing. We want to be refreshed in our fight against our sin, which so easily entangles us. But if your spirit doesn't move, it's on us. And historically, that doesn't go very well. And so we're asking that you would pour out your spirit through the preaching of your word and through the sacrament, that these people in here would see the living God and be filled with hope and be transformed. We ask that you would do that you would make it so. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy. I don't know what that says about my personality, um, but I do listen to a lot of stand-up comedy. And one of the guys that I like is named Brian Regan. And Brian Regan has this uh, funny clip talking about how politicians deal with answering questions. And when I was reading this text, it reminded me of what he says about that. And Regan says this, politicians don't answer questions when they don't feel like it. They have tricks that no one else would ever call them on. I'm sorry, I'm not taking questions today. He says, okay, I wish I would have known that was an option when I was a kid in school. (laughs) Hey, Brian, how do you find the square root of a fraction? I'm sorry, I'm not taking questions today. Yeah, life is a lot easier when you just stop taking questions. Just don't take them anymore. Where were you last night, honey? I'm not taking questions today. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I'm just not taking any. He says another one that the politicians say is, let me answer you that by asking you this. He says, what kind of flipperoo is that? I wish I had that stunt ready in school. Hey, Brian, how did World War I affect the economy of Central Europe? Well, let me answer you that by asking you this. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? I think I've made my point. At first glance, this looks exactly like what Jesus is doing. Hey, Jesus, where did you get the authority to do this? Let me answer your question by asking you this. It looks like he's he's pulling a flipperoo on them, but what he's doing is he's brilliantly trapping them so that they have no good answer. He's brilliantly trapping them so that they have no good answer. He's going to expose them that they were in religion for themselves, for the power, for the notoriety that it gave them. And before we're too hard on them, I want us to consider the fact that maybe we use religion in the same way because of the way it makes us feel. Maybe it makes you feel better when you pour yourself into a religion. It makes you feel like at least I'm not that bad. Or maybe it keeps you from feeling worse. 
like I do feel bad, and when I do these religious things, it makes me feel better. Or maybe it's we use religion in a way to pump ourselves up as to feel better and superior to others. But essentially, we all struggle with building a kingdom of me. A kingdom of me. And what Jesus here is he exposes our motives and our identity and our purposes. Exposes the kingdom of me. Taylor Swift said it this way. Girl, there ain't no I in team, but you know there is a me. Strike up the band one, two, three. I promise that you'll never find another like me. Girl, there ain't no I in team, but you know there is a me. And you can't spell awesome without me. I promise that you'll never find another like me. And I think we all heard that song and connected with that song because all of us kind of believe that. We're building a kingdom of me, and Jesus kindly tears down that kingdom. So let's look together at how he does that, how he exposes them, and how he exposes us. First, he unmasks our motives. He unmasks our motives. That means that they have a a central purpose, and it's not helping people and blessing the nations. It's building power building power. They were the ones who were the authority structure. They were the ones in charge of the temple. It's their temple. It's not his to come in and start turning over tables. They're upset because he's threatening their authority. They're saying, this is our house. It's not yours. That's what they're saying when they say, where do you get this authority to do these things? That's what they're asking him. The specific verses. 27, and they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do them? They're specifically referencing him cleansing the temple, but they're asking, who said you could do this? This isn't yours. When I was, uh, about four years ago, I was looking for space, property for us to rent so that we could start this church called Restoration Southside. And sometimes a realtor would walk you into a room and then sort of just let you on your own and they'd go take a phone call. And I always use that as an opportunity to wander around and check everything out. And I just assumed when there was an unlocked door, they meant they wanted me to go into it. And so I would walk around and check out the kitchen and the restrooms and I'd just be there for 10 minutes by myself. I'd be like, I can't believe nobody's going to stop me from doing this. And then I heard from behind me, can I help you? And they did not, they didn't think, Jared, how can I assist you in wandering around this facility? Can I help you, man? What are you doing here? That's what these guys are asking him. By what authority are you doing these things? They're saying you don't have the authority to do these things. They're not looking for, they're not looking for his credentials. They don't think he has any credentials. Again, the context, three days away from killing him. Three days away from killing him. They want it to be publicly seen that this is a fraud, that he doesn't have the right credentials. It's not intellectual. He doesn't have the right credentials education-wise, apprenticing-wise. They think he has no credentials. 
Isaiah 53 said it this way, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. It's not just that the chief priests had, didn't think he had it in credentials. Even all of us. He wasn't impressive like we thought he was going to be. He had no beauty or majesty. They want to discredit him and denounce him. They want to destroy him. And Jesus is just showing so brilliantly. He traps them. He traps them in what he says. Look with me in the text. He says it this way. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But we shall say, Shall we say from man? And they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And Jesus said to them, Then neither will I tell you by what authority I am to do these things. I want you to see the logic of what Jesus does. John the Baptist was somebody that everybody knew about. John the Baptist, people would flock out to the desert to have, to have their families baptized by John, to have John preach at them the kingdom that was coming in Christ. John, even the people that didn't like John, like Herod, they still respected him. John was not to be messed with. He was serious and he was faithful and he was fierce. And so what he does here is he puts them in a place where they have to talk about John the Baptist publicly. Well, what was John the Baptist known for? Saying, Jesus is the Christ. I'm not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. I'm not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. I can't uh, do the things that he's going to do. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. It's like that's a record to just skip. That's what he would say over and over again. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take the sins of the world. So if he gets them to say, John's baptism is from heaven then he's got him, because he's saying John had one theme, I'm not the Christ, Jesus is the Christ, and this is him right here. Now on the other hand, and they can't say that because they hate him, they want him dead. Now on the other hand, they're public here, they're having this conversation publicly, and if they say John the Baptist was crazy, he may, it is from man, it's not from heaven, it's from man, he's got him there too. And so the crowd, all these people who've been baptized by John, who loved John, who looked up to John, who John considered John the modern-day prophet, all of those people would hear the t- chief priests and teachers of the law say, John is insignificant, John is crazy, John is made up. And they know they can't do that. They can't wield authority over these people by throwing their hero under the bus. So you see what Jesus does? They can't say that, Jesus, that John's baptism is from heaven because if they say that, they're like, well, John wanted Jesus to be king. What are you guys still doing here? And they can't say John's a nobody and John was crazy because then this crowd of people will whisper and the teachers and the chief priests of the law will be thought irrelevant. You don't even know that John's the real deal. And so he's got them perfectly trapped. And I want you to see this one more thing. What did these people idolize so much? What did they love to be known for? Their knowledge. 
Information is power. They would memorize the 500 so rules from the Old Testament, had them memorized. These people who are famous because of what they know, and Jesus has them publicly put their heads together, pop back up and go, we don't know. Jesus perfectly plays the situation. They're trying to trap him and make him look stupid and irreverent. And instead, he traps them, makes them admit the thing that they want to say the least, which is we don't know. And the way that I think that applies to us is they actually know the answer. They know that John's baptism is is from heaven. They know that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, whether they believe him or not. They know the answer to this question. And because they don't like what it'll say, they say, we don't know. It's playing authority games with Jesus. And you and I play authority games with Jesus too. We say, I'm not sure what the Bible has to say about money. I'm not sure what the Bible has to say about sex. I'm not really sure of the passages. I'm not really sure that's what was meant by that. Anything that we don't like, we just play authority games for. I don't understand, or maybe it didn't mean that, or maybe it doesn't mean that now. We all hate having authority. We hate having bosses. We hate having people tell us what to do. We're constantly bucking authority around us, but also the authority of God over us. So what are the ways that you buck authority? When I come driving in the road and I'm leaving a parking lot and it says no left turn, if there is not a curb which I'm going to run over, I put on my left blinker and I turn left. And I jokingly say to myself, they meant no left turn unless you were in a really big hurry. And I just disobey it. And we all have things in our lives that we're like, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm just going to do it. It's like when we welcome Jesus into our home, it's an old and famous and helpful analogy. We welcome Jesus into our home. We say, Jesus, this house is yours. Make yourself welcome. Walk around. Look in the living room. Look how it's filled with light. Look at the dining room. It's ready to host you. And Jesus walks over to a certain closet and says, knock, knock, knock. What's in here? And you're like, whoa. Whoa, Jesus. Um, We've got all this other great space for you to make use of. Love for you to have it. I'm going to ask that you not go in here. And he looks at you and says, what's in here? And all of us have those things in our life where we say, Jesus, you can be in charge of this. You can be in charge of this. You can even be in charge of this, but not here. You can't come in here, Jesus. I can't have you look at it. I can't have you expose it to the light. I need this, Jesus. Sometimes I'm lonely or sometimes I'm in pain and I just need this, Jesus. And you can have the whole rest of the house. I just want this little place left alone. And he knocks on the door again and says, what's in here? What are those places in your life that you have said, Jesus, you can have this, but you cannot have that? Each one of us has those things where we say, I won't let you be my authority, not over this. Maybe some of you haven't come to trust in Christ. And maybe one of the reasons that you haven't come to trust in Christ is you know you don't just get him as a savior of sinners, you get him as a king over your life. 
And some of you stand and say, I want to get rid of the shame. I want to get rid of the pain. I'm so tired of of feeling like I'm not enough, but I will not have a king. He will not tell me what to do about this. He can't touch this. He can't go in this room. And you would miss out on having a, a savior from your sin because you don't want a king of your life. And the irony is, he is your king anyway. He will do what it takes for him to do to rule over your life. And so the sense that we can keep him at arm's distance, fine, I'll, I won't have you as my savior, but I won't have you as my king either. He's your king anyway. Why not at least get the benefits of having him be your savior as well? And there are some of you who do trust in Jesus, who do trust in Jesus and say, I love that you're the savior of my sinners, but Jesus, I would like it if you kept your kingly opinions to yourself. And friends, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. He is the savior of sinners and your king. He's the savior of sinners and your king. It's not either or. These guys don't want his authority because his authority means they'll lose control. If Jesus is in control, they won't be in control, and that's our problem with him too. The more we give up to him, the less control, authority we have over ourselves, over our wallets, over our sexuality, over our free time. The more we give up to him, the less control we'll have. And we find out that we're so similar to them. And what happens when their authority is threatened? They get defensive. They get defensive. When our little kingdoms are threatened, we get defensive. Yesterday, Erin and I were in a disagreement. and She was trying to shed some light on some behavior of mine that I needed to address and repent of. And instead of addressing it and repenting of it, I masterfully brought up some of her behavior and told her how she needed to repent of that. Seriously, guys, if you want to ruin your marriage, all you have to do is when someone's challenging you in your sin, just bring up their sin instead. It works every time if you want to ruin your marriage. So defensive. Are you like that? Anything, anyone threatens your authority, anyone threatens what you want to do, what you think is right, and gets so defensive. We as God's people should be the most soft, humble, repentant people in the world because we know, we signed up for this place saying, I've got a sin problem and I can't manage my own life. But then when someone points at our sin problem or the fact that we can't manage our own life, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. They're defensive, the chief priests, because they don't want to lose control, and we're defensive when we feel like we're losing control. So Jesus traps them beautifully by using John, John the Baptist, the one who had no credentials. And I just want to give you a little side note here. John had no credentials. Abraham had no credentials. Moses had no credentials. Jacob had no credentials. God loves to use nobodies. So if you've concluded in your own heart, I've made too many mistakes, too many mess-ups, God couldn't use me. 
or I don't have enough gifts, I don't have enough skills, God couldn't use me. Friends, God loves to use nobodies. So Jesus masterfully points to John, another one who has no credentials, and traps them. He unmasks the fact that they want authority, and he unmasks their identities. He unmasks their identities. This is what I mean. He says this, and he spoke to them in parables, and a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to sent tenants to get them some of the fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them to another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. And he still had one other, a beloved son. And finally he sent them to saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said one to another, this is the heir, come let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So a lot of places preach these two things independently, the, the conversation about John the Baptist and whether or not Jesus has authority, and then this parable. But I think the way that it went down is they have this standoff Jesus, what authority do you have to be coming into our temple and messing things up? And then he pulls, their, he pulls a trick on them, traps them with the John the Baptist question. It goes, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. It's one section. So imagine the tensity. Three days away, the tension. Three days away from killing him. He's just humiliated them had the smartest people on the planet look down at their shoes and say, we don't know. And he launches into this parable about this vineyard owner who set things up in a faithful and good way and these tenants who keep killing the vineyard owner's messengers. And finally they kill his own son, his only son. And he's staring at them. This is the point. They know they're going to kill him. And he knows they're going to kill him. But this is the first time he lets them know that he knows their plan. Did you see it at the end? And he began to speak, uh, sorry, uh, in 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Three days away from his crucifixion. He's looking at them and saying, I'm on to you, fellas. I know what you have in mind. And it's a battle over authority. So he exposes their motives and he exposes their plots. But he also just exposes this. And I want to linger here for just a second. He exposes the fact that they don't believe that they belong to him. They don't believe that they belong to him. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went away to the other country. And the tenants are like, this is ours now. This is ours now. They don't want to belong to Jesus. They don't want to belong to his authority. And the reason that I tell you that is all of us struggle to be under the authority. Do you actually consider, I'm, I want you to think about this. Do you actually believe that you belong to someone else? 
that you belong to God. That's an invasive notion in our day. Ain't nobody going to tell me nothing. That's an invasive notion that you belong, body and soul, to someone else. That's what he's saying here, is that this is my vineyard, this was my money, this was my investment, and you guys are acting like it's yours. What if your only meaningful credential was that you belonged to someone else? We can say it like it's a bad thing, but what if when you got stressed or when you were hurting, when you were suffering, and when you were discouraged, you could say, I belong body and soul to Jesus. He has been good to me in the past, and he will sustain me. I don't belong to myself. My problems will not overcome me. He will overcome. I do not belong to myself. It's like saying I am never going to be alone. What if we lived out of that? We buck the idea that we belong to someone else and we're missing out on the opportunity to realize we belong to someone else. He's made your problems his problems. He has a place for you. You belong to him. And if you're here today and haven't put your trust in Christ and you're seeing his lordship, his kingly presence in your life as all bad news, friends, let me tell you from here until eternity, it's all good news. Good news that follows good news that follows good news. You don't have to worry about money anymore because you will be provided for. You don't have to worry about your health anymore because you will live forever. You don't have to worry about your enemies because his enemies will be put under his feet and you will live forever without shame and in total joy forever. We look at God's representation in our life that he's the owner and we don't like it and we miss the fact that it's so good. And what he's charging these guys with is, I've been good to you and not just good, I've been patient. Think about it. Did you hear it in the text? It's in verse 3. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another. And him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat, some they killed. He's talking about the prophets from the Old Testament. And instead of they kill one guy and the the landowner shows up and kills everybody. He keeps sending people. He's pleading. He's gentle. He's patient. In fact, high risk, he even sends his own son. Now imagine Jesus is sitting with these chief priests, teachers of the law, these Pharisees, three days away from his death, and Jesus locks eyes with them and says, in fact, then he finally sent them the son. Can you imagine the tension in the room? They finally sent him the son. He's bringing it to the point. He's saying, I'm the king. What are you going to do about it? I'm a king. What are you going to do about it? He owns the vineyard, and he has been good to it, and he has been patient with his evil tenants. They're acting like it's theirs, but he has shown patience. And he unmasks our purposes. They want him dead. 
Listen, Jesus has said this earlier in the text. Earlier in the text, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. So here we are can start pitying Jesus in his last three days as if, no man, don't say that. Don't embarrass them. Now they're gonna get you. And he says, I know they're gonna get me. I know they're gonna get me. I'm gonna let them get me for you. For the wicked tenants who are trying to be the kings of their own lives, I know they're gonna get me and I'm gonna let them get me for you. That's what he's saying. That's, that's the beauty of where it lands. Did you hear it? Jesus isn't what anybody wanted. And he's so much better. Have you not read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived he had told the parable against him. So they left him and went away. What he's saying is, I know they're going to get me. I'm going to let them take me. I'm not what the people wanted. I'm not what the disciples wanted. I'm certainly not what the chief priests and teachers of the law wanted. But I'm so much more. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're, Jesus isn't exactly what you thought he'd be. He heals all your wounds and heals all your diseases and gives you a, your best life now. And that's not the Jesus you get and so you don't want him. The Jesus you get is so much better because he knows they're going to kill him and he goes there anyway for you. We'll close here. So Jesus goes through with it. Cut to the chase. You still have to come back to church to hear the end of the story, but cut to the chase. They're going to kill him, and they kill him. And his 11 best friends disappear into the dark. They disappear into the dark. And no one is waiting for him except some godly women who can't believe that he's back. And he vanquishes death three days later. And after he spent time with him and he's going into heaven, do you remember what he said? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I say, go and make disciples of all nations. Think about that. Instead of none of you wanted me, none of you listened to me, some of you betrayed me, some of you denied me, and I've got all authority, and now we're going to make this about me. Instead, he says, I have all authority, and now we're going to go bless the world. Now we're going to go bless the world. That's what I want you to see. That's what, for those of you who trust in Jesus, I want you to be reminded of, that Jesus knows what he's doing. He's worth your allegiance. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, it's a better story than you think it is. And he has better plans for you than he think he does. But he has not just come to be your savior. He's also come to be your king. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth, now go and bless the world. And he asks us, commands us to be a part of it. Let's pray. Jesus, would you move among us from your preached word and from the sacrament? 
we want so much to let you into all of the rooms in our house. But it's scary. I pray, God, that you will give us the faith to know that you are a good, good king. And that you have plans to help us and not to hurt us. I pray that those who know you would find joy in surrendering themselves to you afresh. And I pray that those who don't know you, afraid of what you'll call them to do, I pray, God, that you would instead give them faith. Faith to put themselves surrender to you and know that things are going to get so much better. Would you bless us now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Afraid of what you'll call them to do, I pray, God, that you would instead give them faith. Faith to put themselves surrender to you and know that things are going to get so much better. Would you bless us now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.